trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Oh, I am so glad that you are part of my audience today and that you're here. Whether you're here to revel in wrong think or maybe you're just wrong think curious, <laughs> want to, you know, dip your toe in the water and see. I don't know if this is for me, but I'll, I'll just ease in and, and take a look around. You're going to be glad you did. I have a special guest I'll be introducing you to in just a few moments. I want to start, though, with an observation. And I don't know if you look, if you're involved in the shooting sports or if you are a Second Amendment supporter or you support the right to keep and bear arms, you've probably noticed that a lot, I mean, a lot of guns have been sold this year. In fact, the most recent article I saw is touting there are five million new, as in first time firearms owners just since the first of the year. That's pretty incredible. I knew the records were being broken over and over and over again. That's a ton of people. And by the way, it's not all, you know, the rock-ribbed conservatives that are out there snapping up firearms. If you've been shopping for firearms, you understand the demand is extremely high. Parts are getting tough to come by. But here's the kicker. Five million new gun owners out there are all learning a lesson right now, and that is you got to feed those firearms. And it's not just a matter of i got to have, have enough ammo for the apocalypse. It's a matter of... Ammo is how you turn money into skill through training. And, and once a person understands this, you never look at ammo the same way again. It's like, no, you really, you can't have too much. You always want to be training. You can never have too much training. The more competent you are, the safer you're going to be. You'll also realize when you have options. So I'm very happy to have Spencer Worthington, who is the founder and owner of HSL Ammo, joining me today. Spencer, you have uh, you've been a longtime listener, and you and I have been friends for quite a few years. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and if you would, walk us through. Uh, you started this ammo company not that many years ago. No, yeah, it's, it's been a fairly recent endeavor, something that kind of talking to the philosophy you just shared, you know, being a, a strong advocate for the shooting sports and being a pro-segmented individual is kind of a, a a work of passion and love that kind of fell into, ironically, it was something that a few years ago, as an adult student, student I was taking some college classes, and my wife and I dipped our toes in the industry, and uh, a little bit of business turned into a little more, and a little more, and a little more, and finally came to the point where my wife and I had a heart-to-heart, and I said, "Hun." We, uh, you go to you go to school to get a job. You don't get a job, you go to school. So we, we kind of um, put, put a little bit of the last time on the brakes and started going hiring another guy or making another invest and putting some more equipment in the shop. And it was kind of something that I, I never imagined it was doing. And it's just it's just kind of a testament to how awesome and great and amazing our our, our two way community is in a conservative state like here in Utah. The support and love we get from our friends out in the community is just, it's, it's unreal. So as, as a small startup company, for us to grow to where we're at these days, it just, you know, it makes me proud to be a Utah knowing that so many of our, our friends out in the community respect that right, our practitioners and such. So, you know, that's, that's just kind of a, a rough idea of what we're getting into, of, of where we're coming from. But, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, we just started it back in 2015 out of the garage and 
Wow. Um, ironic, I'll, I'll give a big shout-out to Brian and say thank you. It was, it was something that he was kind enough to even offer to mentor me when I was learning how to reload years before that. About It was about 10 years ago. So it's, it's something that you know I, I can proudly say that if anyone out there is, is looking to get into loading for yourself, it's, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of enjoyment to be had from it, a lot of family safety and security. And so being an advocate, we don't want just everyone to just do business with us. We, we want you to go out and be safe and have fun and roll your own if you want to. And um, if you don't mind if I touch on to a quick idea that you were, you were mentioning there, Brian, you talked about that you have that the, the, our country has 5 million new gun owners. I would like to passionately um, throw out an invitation to all of our responsible, uh, our, our gun community out there to take the opportunity if you hear of a friend or a family member that is a recent gun owner, that we can help them to join our side safely and responsibly, take them shooting, show them the safety of it, show them how to enjoy it responsibly, you know, work on their marksmanship and stuff. That I think us as pro-gun individuals, we have the responsibility to to educate and show them how wonderful this 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 right can be when done so responsibly. And we've got the responsibility to, to pass that information and that skill set and that training on to our new friends that this may be their first gun or, you know, they haven't shot a gun in 20 years. So I would challenge all of our friends out there to invite the, the less knowledgeable to go out and, and, and join them at the range and teach them how to do it safely. I think that is a really big movement we can do to, to have a lot more educated voters to, to be on our side as we progress here on out. Absolutely. I, I agree wholeheartedly, and besides, it's fun. That's that's the one aspect I don't think we talk about enough. You know, it's it's fun to go out there and practice and and to gain that skill at arms. Now, I, I want to toot your horn a little bit here, though. Five years ago, you started this ammo company, HSL Ammo, and I just want to put this into perspective. Building a company takes a ton of hard work. Tell me where you guys were before things started really getting crazy and the demand went through the roof. Um, how many rounds uh, were you guys loading? Uh, I don't know if you want to break it down by the week or by the day, but uh, I remember you telling me this a few weeks ago, and my mind was blown. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, this is, there's very, very, very low margins in this industry. I think a lot of people would be uh, turned away to learn that you some calibers, we literally only make pennies around, so it's the volume. It's, it's, uh, the economies of scale have to be so high to turn a, a dollar in this industry, and that's okay. It's just the name of the game, you know. Um, but I'm, I'm proud to say that right now we've got uh, 10 full-time guys and we're loading about a million rounds a month with the capacity to do close to 2 million rounds. And I say that with a little bit of pride because I'm proud of our shop and our guys and all the hard work we do. But you got to take that with an ounce of humility when you factor in that the big, the big guys, Lake City, Remington, Federal, you know, Fioki, all those guys, um, a, great, a great comparison is I, I want to say it's uh, – Cellular and Bellow, commonly called S&B, out of Europe, Um, they manufacture their own projectiles, their own brass, their own primers, and load their own cartridges, and they do 3 million rounds a day. Holy cow. Yeah, so... I'm proud of what we do, but we're we're modestly, we're we're a drop in the bucket compared to how large this industry really is. Okay, so talk to me about uh, what is happening right now in terms of ammo. Um, you know, I, I'm trying not to feel smug. My wife got after me when we were doing our taxes. She she started going through my spending and went, you spent how much on ammo and guns and gun parts, you know, and stuff? And, you know, and she actually was a little bit short. So when I corrected her and said, no, it was actually this much, <laughs> she was really, I can't believe you did that. 
But then we've watched the last few months unfold, and, you know, ammo is really tough to find, and when you can find it, it's really expensive. What happened? What didn't happen? The dumpster fire that is the ammunition industry right now is, I don't know whether to laugh or cry from day to day. This is, it's just, anything that could have gone wrong has gone wrong. It's, uh... It's, it's a culmination of perfect storm of, of low supplies and increased demand. So I think on the surface, what a lot of people see is the primer shortage. So for those of your audience that are not reloaders, the primer is the part, the component of the ammunition that when struck by the firing pin, creates the ignition and then lights your gunpowder. So primers are manufactured by only a handful of, of the large, big-name manufacturers that have the economies of scale where they can do it. Just um, in, in the wholesale setting, they're so cheap that they have to manufacture them in such a volume to make any serious money at it. So nationally, you, you have, you have um, manufacturers like Fiocchi, and they were in, they're, they're located in Italy. And as we all know, Italy was one of the original hard-hit countries hit by COVID, Oh, yeah. And so they shut down significantly. You know, they, they really were, there was a lot of concern there, so they shut down. So um, the, the, the retail market and consumer market and the wholesale, or the, the, the manufacturers here stateside that would have been working with the components that they would have been shipping stateside, that is what we would be getting now that would be transporting over the sea and, you know, via ocean cargo container. And we'd be seeing these days is all not showing up because it wasn't produced, you know, two, three, four months ago. Um, you have Winchester, and they're another big manufacturer. Well, the word kind of, take this with a grain of salt, because I haven't read any specific release, but the information I've garnered is that Winchester's been filling a lot of defense contracts, and so their manufacturing has pretty much been tied up. So you have CCI, Federal, Remington, and they're all coming out of learning how to run lean while while learning what to do dealing with COVID. So you have three of the five main primer manufacturers that are running lean dealing with this ab abnormally large demand increase. Um, and then if you want to compound it even further, small small entities like us, what we do is we, we do what's called remanufacturing, where we buy the brass casings and repurpose them. And so um, gun ranges have not had people going and shooting at their gun ranges, that, so we have not had the opportunity to purchase brass. Okay, hold that thought. Place. Hold that thought, Spencer. We're going to come back in just a few moments. Spencer Worthington from HSL Ammo is my guest. We'll be back after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Our program is brought to you by our friends at firesteel.com as well as the Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. I know that uh, this may seem like a weird time for some people with all the uh, upheaval and crazy things going on. Do I need a new home? Well, for some people, actually, yes, they're moving out of areas where they don't want to live or they're, they're fleeing big cities where there's, you know, looting and rioting and so forth. And so for them, particularly if you're coming to my home state of Utah, Talk to my friend John Staples or his lovely wife, Heather. They are the Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. They can get you squared away. Or even if you're looking for a refi on your existing mortgage. 
staplesmortgage.com is where you need to go staplesmortgage.com please tell them thanks for being a sponsor of this program so i have spencer worthington on the line with me spencer is the founder and owner of hsl ammo uh, also located in in st george utah and and spencer you were describing to us what is happening to the ammo supply chain and i i thought i had a i really thought i had an inkling of just how much demand there was and why but uh, you are you are spelling out some things here that I hadn't realized, and, and now it starts to make more sense why there are so many bare shelves and very high prices when it comes to finding ammo. It's scary and frustrating. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty discouraging. As Americans, we've gotten spoiled to being able to go to the store and get whatever we want, you know, the toilet paper shortage or water bottle shortage and now ammunition. It's, we're so spoiled. We're not used to this. This is different than what we'd like to see. But before the break, we kind of left off, and... A lot of gun ranges have seen low turnout from people coming and participating, shooting their firearms. And so the brass that was available to remanufacturers like us has, has, has all but disappeared. And copper prices are climbing, causing components, uh, being that copper is such a, such a critical part of, of ammunition, that it's just prices are rising. And then this abnormally high demand is really just compounding the problem where everyone's trying to catch up and it's getting worse. So if, if you really want to have your mind kind of um, blown a little bit, I'll give you I'll give you kind of a crazy little bit of information. So down here in southern Utah, we have a bullet manufacturer. So when I say bullet, that's the projectile that's fired out of out of your firearm. So um, when when we, in the industry, a lot of people there's a little miscommunication as far as you know what what the components are in each bit. But Barry's Manufacturing they make the actual bullet that we load in. Oh, no. I think I just lost. You still there, Spencer? Spencer, can you hear me? Sorry about that, Brian. The, the, my Bluetooth tried to steal the conversation. Okay, good. I was like, oh, man, this, this was just getting to the good part. Please continue. <laughs> Sorry, the wife. The wife's taking the truck to the store and <laughs> stole my phone conversation. I've been there and had it happen myself. So, so we were. I was saying, Barry's Manufacturing, um, uh, the bullet manufacturer located down here in Southern Utah, that sells components to guys like us that load it into live ammunition. Um, guess, take. I want you to take a guess. In March alone, guess how many rounds they had back ordered and sold that they're trying to fill. Just in March alone, not even current. To March. Um, I'm guessing that number is in the millions. Keep, yeah, and, and, and it's a high million. Keep going. I want mm. you to just give me a random guess. Okay, I, I'm just going to be conservative and say 10 million. Hundred million rounds. Holy cow! March, March alone. That doesn't even include at the time as, as the demand has increased. So, if that gives you kind of any demand, what the strain that the manufacturers are going through, the the demand that's coming from the consumers, it's. I don't know if we'll ever see an industry like this again, and I hope we don't. As as a pro gun individual, I want ammunition to be as affordable as we can, as widely available as we can. Because um, I'm of the opinion in states like California that that's having a hard time passing gun control, that they're doing backdoor gun control, and they're going to try and, and breed it out of families by taxing it and making it more cumbersome and difficult. So you're shooting less, shooting less, and you're taking your kids out less and less. And if they don't grow up with the passion that we did, then, then you know, it's not part of your community anymore. And so, 
as a pro-gun individual, I, I would love to see an affordable and thriving Second Amendment that, so that that doesn't ever happen in that sense. I think there's a little bit more overt and direct that they're trying to do it intentionally, and I'm not saying that the shortages we're going through are any kind of conspiracy theory, but right. you know, it, it's a concern that if it's cheap and affordable, families can enjoy it more, and I, I think that's something we need to take advantage of. So talk to me about uh, what can a person do? Let's say that they, they've purchased a gun, ammo is in short supply. I, I know there's a tendency for people to want to hoard, just like they did with toilet paper, right? It's in short supply. Yep. I don't know when I can get more. And yet uh, it seems to me, uh, let's say a person is able to get their hands on, we'll say, 500 rounds of ammo. Is it, uh, is it wise to go ahead and expend a portion of that ammo in training rather than just sit on that 500 rounds and, and not train at all? You know, training, there's, there's a saying, you don't need a $3,000 rifle. You need a, you need a $500 rifle, $500 in training, and $2,000 in ammunition. You know, you don't, you don't get good on a pair of roller skates by just putting them in your closet. You've got to go and skate around, or you've got to go do, shoot the basketball hoops to be a good basketball player, kick the soccer ball around, or whatever you're going to do, but you've got to practice. Without ammunition, you're not going to practice. So when your life is actually on the line, if you're not accurate or you're not comfortable, you're, you're, your gross motor skills go out the, uh, the window when you, when you have an adrenaline spike. So if you're not really comfortable with your magazine release or, or how to clear a stoppage or things of that nature, you're not going to be able to do that in a stress situation. And the only way you can do that is to actually go out and shoot and train and challenge yourself. So, yeah, if you've got 500 rounds that you're fortunate enough to get, Go shoot 250 of those, or maybe, you know, let's say shoot 50 a week and, and just keep that muscle memory up, keep practicing, and, and do so with the idea that you're out to have fun. We're not, we're not trying to prepare for the end of the world. You know, take your kids out. Turn it into a family event. When you began the show, you talked about the, the shooting sports. Like, it's a sport. It's a fun activity to do. All of us that are pro-gun, we're not. We don't think the government's coming to kick our door in. It's about hunting with your kids. It's about going and doing some of the competition shooting. There's so much fun to be have. And then a really cool side effect about going out and having that fun is your family's a little bit safer. So, yeah, if you've got 500 rounds, shoot some. But, you know, without, without some ammunition, the gun is just a, you know, a rifle is just a baseball bat at that point. So you need to save a little bit. But training, training is, 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 is as important as keeping some in the house. Absolutely. Now, I, you know, there are probably people with far more experience than me who, who could make a better case. Mentally, I've always just when I when I purchase ammo, I divide it in half. Half of this is going to be shot up in training and recreation. And half of it is going to be saved for a rainy day, which I hope never comes. Absolutely. Yep. That is a great philosophy to adhere to. And if we can give some advice to the audience, if you're going to store ammunition, Ammunition can pretty much store indefinitely. There's not much that can break ammunition down. The, only, the, the, the two enemies of ammunition are moisture and heat. So um, keep it sealed really well. If you've got it into a gun safe or, you know, some Ziploc bags or whatever you've got to do with some, some desiccant, the, the, you know, the oxygen and moisture absorbers or anything like that, if it's not stored out in your garage or in the trunk of your car, it still takes decades for, you know, in southern Utah, we get 100 degree plus. It would take decades for it to, to degrade the gunpowder enough to where you're going to experience failures. But in a home, in a climate-controlled setting, free of moisture, you could shoot ammunition 100 years from now. I have literally shot um, old surplus ammunition from before World War II, and it still functioned. Not even joking. 100 years of ammunition, it still works. Amazing. 
All right, we're down to about a minute here. Uh, Spencer, any other thoughts as far as uh, what people should be thinking? Um, I know you want them to be patient, but uh, when it all comes back, tell them where they can uh, go to check out your website and, and hopefully uh, bring some business to you when you get back to uh, cranking it out by the millions. Yeah, yeah, we would really look forward to doing business with any of your audience. We appreciate the opportunity to earn their business. Our website is hslammo.com. And uh, when this craziness closes down, we've got a, a little a little storefront attached to our manufacturing facility here in southern Utah. So if any of your audience is down here in southern Utah, um, it's our pleasure to take them around, show them the shop, let them see how it's all made and done. We um, we want our audience or our, our friends in the community to have as much confidence in our product as you can. So come by, see the shop. We'll show you around, let you see how it's all done. For that matter, I'm going to throw an invitation out to you as well, Brian, next time you're in town. It, I'd love, to, I'd love to see you and have you come by and show you around and see how, how it's done on a commercial scale. You got it. Spencer, thanks so much for your time today. Great visiting with you. Thanks. We appreciate it. Have a great day, Brian. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I want to take a minute here and thank firesteel.com for being a sponsor of this program. And by the way, I want to thank you because I know that a number of my listeners have, have answered the call to just go to their website, firesteel.com. Check it out. Watch the videos. See for yourself. Is it something that, uh, that would make sense to have in your preparedness? You know, your, your tools, your, your 72-hour kit, whatever, your vehicle kit. And I have heard back from a lot of people who've said, I've been there. I checked it out. It looks fantastic. I ordered one for myself. Here's the key. If you choose to do this, if you go to firesteel.com, you get one of their ferro rods or one of their magnesium fire starters or the, the gob spark. That's the one I have. Um, be sure to put my name in as the coupon code at checkout. It's Brian with a Y, just B-R-Y-A-N, and they will take 10% off your purchase. Also, by putting in that coupon code, you're telling them that their advertising message reached you. So there you go. Tell them thanks for being a sponsor. Tell them that their message is, is reaching an audience of people who appreciate what they have to offer. Okay, moving on here. Um, I'm sure you've heard the news. If, you are, if you're involved in Freedom Things, you probably heard Ammon Bundy was arrested again yesterday simply for sitting inside the Idaho State Capitol. And th look, the media does not like Ammon Bundy. I don't know. I figured this out, uh, oh, I don't know, six years ago or so when they were reporting on what was happening at Bundy Ranch. There's a narrative. Government is right. Bundys are bad. Anti-government activist extremist, blah, blah, blah. So you're going to get a pretty slanted story, minus a lot of good contextual information, if you're going strictly on what is being said by the media. And by the way, Boise, Idaho media is just as bad as, as any of it out there in terms of we've got to spin this to make it sound as, as crazy as possible. This is why I like to go to the source wherever possible. And I have shared on Facebook, I will, uh, I'll put a link up with the show notes, the real reason why Ammon Bundy was arrested. This is by Ammon himself. And it's a summary of events. It's a fairly lengthy uh, Facebook post. It's worth it. It's worth your time to check it out. And, and at least here in his own words, you might still disagree with him. You could, you could say, well, okay, I still think he was crazy to do this, but 
Um, the bottom line is he will spell out this is this is what was undertaken. This is why we were there. Here's what happened. Here's why I believe the state of Idaho and particularly Idaho State Police are wrong in the way that they've responded to this. You know, I I lived in Idaho for quite a few years. I loved it as a state. Felt like it was a very free place. Um, that the, 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 there's nowhere. There's nowhere to go where you can actually feel free anymore. And sadly, Idaho has succumbed to some of that same hashtag Me Tooism that uh, that comes in statism flavor. It's just despicable. And one of the reasons why Ammon and other citizen activists were trying to attend this special session of the legislature there in Idaho was because legislators were trying to pass a uh, a limit on how accountable they could be held for the damage they have caused by the various lockdown policies that have been implemented. Yeah, cover your butt, writ large. Anyway, I'll put it in the show notes. I hope you'll check it out. Speaking of there is no place to go, I can't be the only person who has wished that I could run away to Galt's Gulch. Now, if you've read Atlas Shrugged, if you're an Ayn Rand fan, you'll immediately recognize that reference. But it's just, you know, the the world is getting crazier. Productive people more and more are being punished or expected to humbly stand by and watch their businesses be burned as reparations or watch their, their themselves or their spouses be beaten and abused because, you know, racial injustice. The mob is out of control. And I don't want any part of it. You know, there's a part of me that, 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 that when the anger starts to rise up, I'm like, yeah, it, it would be it would be nice to to stand as resistance against these violent, you know what's out there uh, making our streets, you know, a war zone. On the other hand, violence needs to be a very last resort, and I mean a regrettable last resort. It has a way of spiraling out of control, and once it's started, once that cycle has begun, nobody really knows where the wheel is going to stop. So, you know, if, if that sounds a little too pacifistic to you, I'm sorry. It's, I, it's wisdom at work here saying... I don't want to set something in motion that is not easily called back. And so I'm, I'm reserving that, that call to arms until it's a, a regrettable last resort. Now, having said that, there's a lot we can do. There's a great article by J.S. Winter. This was published on intellectualtakeout.org. Retreat is not an option. Now, I know that sounds a little militaristic, but hear him out. He says, back in 2018, a writer by the name of Rod Dreher published The Benedict Option a strategy for Christians living in a post-Christian world. I remember reading this essay, and I remember identifying with it, because in it, Rod Dreher argued that Christians needed to recognize that we are now in a post-Christian society, and he said we should consider withdrawing as much as possible from it and build up private Christian communities. And the inspiration for this concept was St. Benedict of Nursia, who founded 12 different communities for monks, which became repositories of learning and civilization during the barbarism that ensued following the collapse of the Roman Empire. You hear of Benedictine monks? There's where it comes from. Ayn Rand, back in 1957, suggested something similar in Atlas Shrugged. She, too, foresaw a sclerotic and and decadent uh, United States in which individualism, excellence, and market forces were subjected to collectivist views of equity and fairness. Now, she envisioned the creative and business geniuses of America withdrawing to a valley called Galt's Gulch and going on strike. And J.S. Winter says there is something deep, something deeply attractive about withdrawing from a sick culture and society. Why bother with people who don't share your values 
and who don't understand or appreciate your point of view. Countries rise and fall all the time. Many mainstream Americans are well off. They don't want to rock the boat in any way. Maybe the storm will burn itself out and Christianity, constitutionalism, the American dream will make a comeback organically. But he points out there, old, there is no remote monastery. There is no Galt's Gulch. Rather, he says, choosing the Benedict option ultimately leads to destruction, marginalization, ridicule, or silence. Because for the left, Christians, conservatives, and mainstream Americans in general are the enemy. As long as America is committed to liberty and has a robust middle class, it will naturally oppose statism, crony capitalism, and corruption. It will inherently oppose unchecked power. So he says, instead of the Benedict option, mainstream Americans who are interested in preserving their country should consider the Samuel Adams option. That got some people's attention. Oh, Samuel Adams? <laughs> we can talk about beer? No, let's, let's talk about the Samuel Adams, who was famous for a few things other than his, uh, his beer. In the 1760s, the British Empire was the most powerful political and military force in the Western world, says J.S. Winters. The British Navy, Treasury, and technology were second to none. Like an anaconda, the king and parliament were slowly strangling the rights of the colonists, reducing them to second-class citizen status with their restrictions on American commerce, currency, and self-determination. They were aided and abetted by up to 30% of the colonists who called themselves Tories. And so he asks, what did Samuel Adams and other patriots do? Well, first of all, they formed committees of correspondence connecting patriots to each other across the different towns and villages within individual colonies and with each other. They developed their own media to promote the rights of the colonists and of this province, Massachusetts in particular, as men, as Christians, and as subjects, to communicate and publish the same to the several towns in this province and to the world as the sense of this town. They protected themselves from the cancel culture of their era, by often using pseudonyms and forming secret societies. They used symbolic acts of resistance, like the Boston Tea Party, to mobilize public opinion. They worked within the system as much as possible, petitioning allies within the British government. They publicized the names, or published the names, and exposed the merchants of who imported British goods and undermined American industry. Now, J.S. Winter says... The conditions are not exactly the same today. Instead of a monarchy, the radical leftist ideology that has swept through the commanding heights of academia, Hollywood, and the media, and big business, basically aspires to establish what Tocqueville might have called a soft despotism through one-party rule. Peter Leiden and Ray Texera in 2018 outlined the idea of emulating California's democratic supermajority across the country. Now, the project is incomplete, but the country has moved from its historical center-right orientation to one where conservative students and even in a historically uh, conservative state like North Carolina feel the need to self-censor. And he says Americans have to realize they are facing a different kind of anaconda. So here's where I'm going to pause. We'll come back to this in a few moments. The Samuel Adams option. It's kind of an elegant sound. And given what I know about Samuel Adams and his fiery determination to be a free man, I have to admit, I'm more than just a little bit interested. We'll share the rest of this essay, Retreat is Not an Option, by J.S. Winters. By the way, you can also find it in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. We'll be back right after this. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. Retreat is not an option. I think in my heart I know this, but uh, there's a part of me that still, I just want to get away from it. Uh, when was it? Uh, just, oh, it was a couple weeks ago. I was, I was driving through the outskirts of, of Logan, and it was just so peaceful. I was actually, in fact, we, we stopped to visit a friend in Hiram, Utah. And it was this wonderful little, uh, just rural community Nothing much going on there. Yeah, there was a smell of cow manure, but I didn't even care. I was like, ah, it just smells like peaceful society. No crowds riding in the streets, no problems. And I thought, I kind of want to go someplace like this. Had the same feeling when I was coming back from Yellowstone back in June. And we passed through uh, eastern Idaho. And I just thought, man, what I wouldn't give to live here and just be far away from society and where there's lots of natural beauty. Now, I'm hoping that one day God says, you know, Brian, this is my plan for you. I want you to go and I want you to fly fish every day. But uh, so far, that doesn't appear to be in, uh, in his plans. Instead, he wants me to uh, speak up, to use whatever influence I happen to have in a way that is hopefully uh, providing light and knowledge and encouragement to people who likewise value truth who value freedom, and who are willing to stand and do something about it. And unfortunately for me, that means i got to stay in the thick of things. i got to be willing to stick my neck out a little bit. All right. Well, I accept it. So the Samuel, Ab- the Samuel Adams option, described by J.S. Winter in his essay, has to be deployed at the ideological level first. This is when retreat isn't an option. You, you've got to find a way to fight back, but you've got to do it smart. So it starts at the ideological level. The injustices and undermining of the liberty of the leftist establishment of liberty by the leftist establishment, rather, have to be exposed, documented, and circulated. By the way, this is what Ammon Bundy has been doing for years. And as you can see, it's not without risk. But I can't think of a person who does a better job than he does. This entails that the, that the manipulative Orwellian use of language and framing of the left needs to be rejected and confronted. Concepts like privilege, love, racism, and sexism have all been weaponized. Instead of being defensive, mainstream Amer- Americans have to push back on leftists to prove their ideas will actually improve society. It's the leftists who are seeking to undermine the intellectual engines that have made the United States the greatest country in the world today. So if America is going to be free, that leftist grip on education through teachers unions, Hollywood, the media, and the human resources departments of nearly every major corporation needs to be broken. In some cases, this may mean the creation of new institutions or new businesses. In others, it may be through the application of antitrust law. In still others, it may be by creating a consumer union using research by groups like Second Vote. Now, J.S. Winters references comedian Greg Gutfield, who recently summarized the need to confront, band together, and retaliate against leftist media trolls, not just out of self-defense, but as a matter of setting the record straight and pushing back against injustice. For too long, 
mainstream Americans who just want to go about their daily lives, do their jobs, love their families, practice their faith, and enjoy the blessings of this country have ignored the warning signs. They've been confused by leftists masquerading as liberals, and they've not realized that they have been targeted, manipulated, and divided in order to advance an ideology designed to transfer power and control from the people, according to the dictates of an unaccountable leftist establishment. So J.S. Winter says the time has come to wake up, know your enemy, retreat is not an option. Choose the Samuel Adams option and fight back intelligently. It's an interesting article. You'll find it in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Check it out. I've talked about building a support group for liberty before. I've told you how I do it um, or how I did it with a group of friends. Maybe we'll revisit that here in a future show. It can be done. It just takes a little bit of effort and a commitment on your part. All right. Had one other commentary I wanted to share with you. This is from Ron Paul, who has been a steady voice of reason for a long, long time. And his article was published in the Washington Examiner. Amid pandemic, freedoms are disappearing. Why do we speak out? I know it's easy probably to dismiss me as well. Brian, the only reason you're speaking out is because you were starved for attention as a child and you're trying to get it as an adult. So here you are, you know, trying to say pithy things and write things that are provocative and stir things up and rattle people's cages and whatnot. Hey, and I have been guilty of all of those things, by the way. Just so we're clear, I was a red meat thrower like nobody else for a long time. But that's not why I do what I do now. I have come to the understanding that it is time to speak up because someone has to be willing to do it. Someone has to make a start. If I could paraphrase this, uh, this wonderful hero of mine by the name of Sophie Scholl. She was one of the founders of the White Rose Society in Nazi Germany. And they guillotined her for opposing Hitler and opposing his regime. So I have no illusions about the idea that it's not something that's done without risk. It's not done so that people will admire you, at least not in that time. You'll be treated like an enemy. You'll be hated. You'll be spat on. You'll be denounced. It's down the road when people, when common sense has returned and, and people are no longer running with the madness of the herd that they start to look around and they see people like Ron Paul and will realize, hey, he really was trying to warn us. He was trying to be that voice of warning and to warn us while there was still time to do something about it. In this case, Ron Paul says, at the start of the pandemic, we saw businesses across the country forced to close their doors due to city, state, or federal guidelines. And this resulted in an unemployment rate that skyrocketed to levels not seen since the Great Depression. The public began finding itself forced into poverty by the very government that was founded on the principles of freedom and self-determination. Now, thankfully, he says, some did not sit silently by. We saw individuals rightly demand to be able to go back to work so that they could provide for their families. Unsurprisingly, the far-left media and too many elected officials who were more than happy to gain additional powers over their constituents panned the protesters for fighting for their rights. Then came the mask mandates. Since April 3rd, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has recommended people wear masks in public. A public policy recommendation is one thing, but then we started seeing executive orders across the country mandating people wear masks or risk a civil penalty. For example, 
in Glendale, California, the penalty for not wearing a mask can be up to $2,000. And in an area that has seen nearly 20% unemployment and a homelessness crisis that's only getting worse, penalties of this kind are unbearable for most people. These consequences are being brought on by the failed leadership of liberal leaders like Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti, who instituted one of the harshest stay-at-home orders in the country, decimating local businesses. Now he's vocally admonishing anyone who raises any objection to wearing a mask. During a briefing on the topic, Garcetti said, Everyone should be wearing your face covering. I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. Now, given that Garcetti himself posed without a mask during a photo op, at a protest, while not following social distancing guidelines as well, that just shows that he's demanded that he's he's not doing what he's demanded the people of Los Angeles follow. It's clear that those in power will not have to suffer under the burden of the policies they create surrounding the coronavirus. And so Ron Paul asks, what happens if a conscientious objector refuses to wear a mask and refuses to pay the fine? Well, if you're, in, if you're in Virginia and you refuse, refuse to comply with Governor Ralph Northam's executive order and you don't pay the fine for not wearing a mask, you could be subject to a Class 1 misdemeanor charge punishable by up to a year in prison. So we've already given up our right to go to work and sadly have given government a precedent to decide whether or not our jobs are essential. And we have allowed states to force us to wear facial coverings or risk jail time. What comes next? Well, unfortunately, the answer is all too obvious. The most totalitarian approach to addressing the pandemic would be for the government to mandate coronavirus vaccination for everyone, except for those with a medical exemption. Now, technically, states have the legal right to do so, and the news media and many politicians will be more than happy to support this draconian approach while relentlessly mocking anyone who objects. Ron Paul says bureaucrats and far-left elected officials like Garcetti and Northam are intent on controlling every aspect of our lives. And, must already, and are already in the process of taking our rights away piece by piece. And that, he says, now more than ever is why we must stand up and voice support for our liberties before it's too late. Now, the obvious thing here is it's a lot easier to stand if you have some people willing to stand with you. Even a couple of people can provide courage to stand against the thoughtless crowd. To resist the uh, the urge to give in to their shared mental illness. So let's have each other's backs. Let's be there for each other. And let's make that stand that needs to be made. What do you say? This is The Brian Hyde Show.